reading tonight comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verses 1 through 5 and 22 through 30. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today. For today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The word of the Lord. Well, I'd like to um, just remind you one last time, if you would like to be baptized at our birthday party, please contact me. I'd love to talk with you about that. And Matt and I have uh, put together a podcast on uh, how we think about baptism, what the church teaches on baptism. And you can subscribe to our podcast. And if you're listening online, I encourage you to do that. And uh, you can hear a little more about uh, why we baptize and how we think about it at All Souls. So that's be coming up this week. Well, I want to go back to that question I asked you uh, during confession. Um, how rested are you? Alex, nice yawn. That's good. Okay, that's okay. So that's one answer. Good. Not very. Um, how well did you sleep this week? And if you're a parent of young children, sorry I asked. Um, when you do rest, do you get good rest that nourishes your soul? Or is the rest that you take kind of anemic, and when you look back over it, you find that it actually isn't helping you that much. Do you find it difficult to stop, rest, and play? 
I've taken up coloring and maybe even watercoloring. I have a box of colored pencils and I bought a sketch pad and I found out that on my days off I was cheating. I was thinking I was resting. But really, I was preparing for sermon series and reading about the church and culture and trying to get ahead, and I realized I was just kind of working. And so one of the things that I do now is I color. Do you ever do anything crazy like that? Carl Jung, the Swiss psychologist, found it helpful in times of intense stress to go for a walk by his home near a lake, and he would sit down and he would make sandcastles. When was the last time you made a sandcast? What are the kinds of practices that you like to do that help you feel refreshed and rested? One of the things that I want to encourage you to think about tonight is that rest is a spiritual practice. It's, it's a spiritual, we used to call them spiritual disciplines. We don't use that language as much anymore, but I think it's still good language. It's, rest is one of the ways that we reconnect with God Rest helps us uh, prepare to fulfill our calling. Rest helps us see. Rest helps us hear. Rest helps us stay awake to what's happening around us. Rest helps us see the dark side of our lives. And the reason why we can rest is because God is a God of abundance. We don't have to work all the time because there's enough. The Bible starts out with an incredible celebration of abundance. The first chapter of Genesis is a song of praise for God's abundant generosity. God speaks into being the light and the earth and the plants and the stars and the animals. And each time he says, it's good. And then he creates the humans and he says, it's good. Everyone has enough. There is abundance everywhere. And then God rests. From the very first page of scripture, you see this ebb and flow. You see seasons, work, rest, productivity, Rest. Does your life have any seasonality to it? Israel is so impressed by this that many of the Psalms are a celebration of God's abundance. Psalm 104, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you're very great. And then the psalmist describes all the ways that God has been abundant in creating the world. He set the earth on its foundation so it should never be moved. You covered it with a deep as with a garment. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. So the Bible starts with this incredible abundance and praising God for it. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, they're blessed with abundance. Genesis 12.1, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. We don't see a scarcity mentality enter into the Bible until chapter 41 of the book of Genesis. And that is where Pharaoh dreams about having a famine. And he has two dreams, and uh, seven healthy cows come up from the Nile. They're eaten by seven thin cows. Seven ears of corn sprout up, eaten by seven thin ears. And Joseph interprets them, and he says, there will come seven years of great plenty throughout Egypt, but after them will arise seven years of famine. The famine will consume the land. And Joseph offers a plan 
uh, to kind of provide for the people out of this abundance. But Pharaoh does something else with it. He essentially says, well, if there's not enough to go around, let's hoard it for ourselves. And so if you read through Genesis 47, first of all, he takes their livestock, then he takes their land, and then ultimately he takes their lives and makes them all slaves. So scarcity has entered the world. We fast forward 400 years. The children of Israel are slaves in Egypt. God is still blessing. Listen to Exodus 1, verse 12. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they made the people of Israel work as slaves. And you may know the story. Pharaoh is very threatened by this abundant little community. He tries to kill it, squash it. He can't. Finally, after the ten plagues, he sends them out into the wilderness, but not before asking them to bless him first. It's really interesting. Uh, he says, take your flocks and your herds, as you've said, and be gone, and bless me also. <laughs> Walter Brueggemann, whose essay I'm borrowing from tonight, uh, puts it like this. He said, by the end of Exodus, Pharaoh has been as mean, brutal, and ugly as he knows how to be. And as the myth of scarcity knows how to be. Finally, he becomes so exasperated by his inability to control the people of Israel that he calls Moses and Aaron to come to him. And Pharaoh tells them, take your people and leave. Take your flocks and herds. Just get out of here. And then the great king of Egypt, who presides over a monopoly of the region's resources, asks Moses and Aaron to bless him. The powers of scarcity admit to this little community of abundance. It is clear that you are the wave of the future. So before you leave, lay your powerful hands on us and give us energy. The text shows that the power of the future is not in the hands of those who believe in scarcity and monopolize the world's resources. It is in the hands of those who trust God's abundance. Well, when the children of Israel go out into the wilderness, they start wondering how they're going to eat. God gives them bread every morning. The bread is called manna. But as Austin read, they're not supposed to gather the bread every morning. And let's just briefly look at that text again, if we could put that up. He tells them very specifically, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread. So the people rested on the seventh day. The word rest in Hebrew is Shabbat. It means to stop. Stop working. You don't have to be productive today because there's enough bread. You can rest. Now, we live under the new covenant. We don't need a lot of legalistic prescriptions about what rest counts and what a Sabbath is, but there is a vital principle here. It's seen in the creation story. It's repeated here. It's made a part of the Ten Commandments. It's repeated again in the end of the book of Deuteronomy. God's people are supposed to stop working and rest because there's enough. It's supposed to be a part of our spiritual practice. A friend of mine took a driving class uh, at the Porsche Experience Center in Atlanta. Uh, and you go down and you pay a lot of money and you get an instructor and you get in a Porsche and you go 150 miles an hour 
around a track for several hours while an instructor, um, I guess, critiques you. That would not be rest for me, I'll tell you that. Um, and after several hours of blistering turns and a, you know, incre incredible cranking on the brakes, uh, he asked the instructor, he said, um, how many miles do you get out of these tires? And the instructor said, mm, 300. He said, really? And then he said this, he said, yeah, every night after the time on the track, we take the cars into the mechanic. And the mechanic has one job. There's one thing the mechanic's supposed to do. Do whatever the high-performance car needs so that the next day it can function at the optimum level. Do whatever the car needs so that the next day it can function at the optimum level. And I think that is the spirit of the practice of rest. It's not about, well, can you answer emails on Sunday? I mean, that's, don't ask that. That's silly. We don't live in an agrarian economy. <laughs> Let's not get legalistic about this. The point is, what are the practices that help restore your body and your soul to maximum performance? And the principle is that every week and every day, those need to be a part of the rhythm of your life. How many hours of sleep do you need each night? I find that there's often a little bit of shame about that. I, I need about seven or eight. But for years, I wouldn't say that because the people I respected most somehow got by in four. How many do you need? I was talking with one friend. I said, how's your sleep? And he said, you know, it's great. I, was, I used to go four hours a night. Now I'm up to five or six. And I said, how many do you need? And he said, seven or eight. I said, why don't you take it? It's too much to do. Ultimately, what he's saying is, if I got the rest I needed, if I took care of the car the way it needs to be taken care of, I couldn't get it all done. And ultimately, that's a belief about God, right? That he's not abundant. That if I stop producing, I won't get it all done. God says, he says, on the seventh day, I'm giving this command that I might test them. And I, I really do think this is a spiritual test for us, our ability to rest. Because it's, it's showing whether or not we really trust him as our provider. Or if we believe that we're ultimately responsible for getting it all done. I have a, a friend, um, one of the most caring people I know, always working, always serving, always putting other people's needs first. Um, she's the first person you go to when you need something done. A very, very busy, productive life. Everybody loves her because she's always meeting their needs. There's one person this friend fails to take care of, herself. Her own needs are always the first to go when someone else's needs come up. 
Now, we're supposed to be servants, and that involves sacrifice, but if, if you want to have a sustainable life of caring for other people, you need to rest. You need to have time when whatever it looks like for you, you go into the shop and you get new brakes and whatever else you need. And I, I want to ask you, just to be real honest with yourself, something I've been thinking about lately. When you are resting, is it good rest? I, I just, just think about it this week. Um, Again, we're not trying to be legalistic here, and these are the five approved things you could do on the Sabbath. My friend of mine grew up in a really strict Sabbatarian home, and he had Sabbath toys, and he could only play with those toys from sundown to sundown. And um, he said he had a Sabbath GIO and a rest of the week GIO, and the Sabbath GIO was a pacifist and was no fun at all. So um, <laughs> we're, we're not saying that. But I, I, I just want you to think a little bit tonight about the quality of the things that you do to rest. Do they restore you to God? Do they clarify your sense of calling? Do they give you greater compassion for others? And I think there's a fine line here, especially when we start talking about um, television watching, which is probably the number one area uh, Americans use to rest. And um, TV is a wonderful medium. There's a lot of great artists working in television. My daughter's in New York City trying to get roles on TV. It's how we tell stories in our generation, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, but do you, do, you, do you know when you've gone from soulful rest to just numbing out? You know the line? What do you feel like afterwards? I think this is so subtle because, I mean, there's nothing terrible is going to happen if you binge all week on Netflix because you're frustrated. I mean, nobody's going to arrest you. But I wonder, if you spend the next 15 years spending your restful time binging on Netflix. I guess I just wonder what kind of person um, that will help you become. And maybe what you, might, what you might lose. That's where this funny area of discipline comes into this whole dialogue about rest. It's not, it's not just throwing on the TV and a beer and put your feet up. That might not be good rest for you. Um, the tradition of our faith suggests that solitude and silence are uh, important, regenerative, restful practices. Um, and we're losing the capacity to do that in our culture. You might just step back and, and ask where that fits in your personal rest could are, are you just terrified of the fact of going home alone especially maybe if you're single and not watching something and of course if you're in a key 
raising children phase. It's a very, very different season of life. And, but, but you also need to ask, what does rest look like for a young parent? And the reason why I say that is, is now that I'm looking back on life, I see some parents come out of the childbearing years fully alive and growing and moving forward. And I see m many others come out like zombies. And sadly, in our culture, it's, it's often the, the woman that seems to bear the, the, greater, the greater cost. And I look back now, and um, I, I did not do a great job helping my wife rest while we were raising four kids. I frankly was too focused on my needs and my career. I wasn't sensitive enough to ask her, well, honey, what do you really need right now? So maybe if you are in that season, you could, you could have that conversation. The last question I'll end you with tonight um, Do you feel that you always have to be productive? Do you feel guilty when you are not productive? That, at its core, is an idol where we are worshiping our own capacity to do stuff to validate our sense of well-being. And it's theologically precarious because it implies that we're ultimately responsible for our own production. And the whole point of this whole story is God provides the bread. So maybe you could ask yourself that question this week. Um, why do you feel so uncomfortable when you're not productive? Maybe you could talk to the Lord about that.